The Bible authors sometimes try to get us to understand the majesty and the wonder of God. And you can see this in a number of places in Scripture, Old and New Testament. And you can tell that this is what they're trying to do. They're trying to help us see something that's just more than, what, than, than the sum of its parts. And let me just give you a couple references. They're trying to describe a sunset, essentially. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Not literally, but they're trying to describe something that is indescribable. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Paul gets so excited at his own writing, he amens himself. It's good stuff. Paul later in 1 Timothy wrote this. These are the passages of Scripture that are kind of, they seem a little flowery and poetic, so sometimes we just like want to get to the meat. But this is what he writes in 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in inapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. And again, Paul amens himself. It's like, that was good. Amen. <laughs> writes it down. Do you see how they're trying to describe something that is more, something that is wonderful? So they're, they're trying to use human language to describe something that cannot be captured by human language. Now I know maybe on a Sunday morning, maybe you had a rough morning getting ready for church. Maybe the, the, the commute to church wasn't great. Maybe you've had a tough week. Maybe you've been distracted. Who knows? Some, it's possible that sitting here in this room right now, you're not really having much of a transcendental experience with God. You're not really, maybe you didn't feel it during God of Wonders. Maybe we sang Amazing Grace and you were like, yeah, we sang this song a million times. Maybe you didn't feel it, but there were people that did. And it is possible for you to understand that there is, when we think about God and we think about who he is, there is this opportunity for more. There is this opportunity for wonder that fuels our relationship with God. And that's, that's what we want to talk about today. It is crucial to our relationship with God, but it is not easy to hold on to. It is not easy to hold on to. Because as soon as you are driving somewhere and you get a flat tire, that wonder that maybe you had, if you were looking at a beautiful sunset, that's gone. And now what you're thinking about is the flat tire and how, why did it have to get flat in this cold weather? And is, I don't have my AAA card and I can't find the, the jack in the, in the trunk. And oh, why does this, oh, this is so frustrating. Our wonder just goes away. It feels like it goes away when we think about all the just normal, everyday, mundane things of life. When I was uh, 19 years old, I briefly lived in Colorado and uh, I was excited to be there. Because I like exploring the outdoors. I like exploring the mountains. And so I basically saw a picture like this. If you go to the next slide, I saw a picture like this, you know, as you're driving into Colorado. Of course, most of Colorado is not this beautiful. You got like two and a half hours of just flat, boring, looks like Nebraska. No offense to Nebraska, but it's flat and boring. And you drive into Colorado and you see the mountains off in the distance. And I remember moving there. I remember thinking, oh, I live here now and I can go explore the mountains whenever I want. This is awesome. I'm excited. I'm kind of an excitable guy. I'm so, this is going to be so much much fun. As soon as I get my, my, myself settled in, I'm going to drive up to the mountains and explore. A couple weeks went by and I remember like, you know, opening my window in the morning. Oh, there's the mountains off in the distance. Man, I can't wait to get out there and explore those mountains. And then a couple weeks went by and I'm driving somewhere in the car and I look over and I'm like, oh yeah, mountains. I need to, need to make that happen. And the entire time 
that I lived in Colorado. Guess where I did not go? You are correct. The mountains. Because they just faded into the background. They just became part of the noise of life. They just became a feature that was there. And every once in a while you're like, oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to do that. I wonder, pun intended, if that is analogous to our relationship with God. If for us, God is like the mountains and we want to have that experience, but he's just kind of faded into the background of life and just the normal, everyday, mundane experiences of life have kind of taken over and we're just not thinking about God and who he is and what he's done. We're not thinking about Christ and we're not thinking about the sacrifice and we come to church and maybe for a brief moment we kind of glimpse it and then we leave here again and we worry about are we going to get to the restaurant on a time or we worry about, you know, a bill or we worry about the fact that we've got work tomorrow and all of a sudden that one wonder just goes away. It's there. It's there. God's there. And it's not that we don't know, and it's not that we don't believe, although that could be the case for people, and that's a different sermon for a different time, but that, that those truths of who God is have, have ceased to have an impact on our lives. They're just not part of our everyday experience. And so the question we're wrestling with this morning is how do we recover that sense of wonder? How do we recover that sense of wonder. Psalm chapter 8, verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. Let's do just a little considering this morning. Um, uh, it's been four or five years ago, and, and I talked a little bit about some of the things we're going to talk about this morning. So if you're thinking, I think he's recycling sermons now. This is... Sometimes you just got to retread the same ground. But I want, you to, I want you to think about what we're talking about this morning. When I consider your heavens, and this may not be what gets you amped up, but this certainly does it for me. When I consider the heavens, I got this picture. This is a picture of uh, some random guy staring at the Milky Way. The Milky Way. Now, if you've been to fifth grade science, you know that the Milky Way is our galaxy. This is our, if you're thinking of the universe as a, as, as a map, the Milky Way is our block. This is our street. This is, you know, from one street corner to the other. It's as far as your mom would let you go on your big wheel when you were six, right? Different world. But this is our block. This is as far as we can go. This is the Milky Way. Now, the Milky Way, it's beautiful. Like this picture was taken somewhere where there's not so much light pollution and it's all, you know, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. But in the Milky Way galaxy, in this galaxy, in our, in our block of galaxies, there are, they can only estimate, uh, astronomers are only estimating this, and feel free, this is one of those situations, turn your volume down, but feel free to Google this right now if you want to double check me. Astronomers estimate that there are 2 billion stars, 200 billion stars in our galaxy. I, I know, see, did my research. 200, 200 billion, 200 billion Everybody in the world can have multiple stars. We all can have plenty of stars. 200 billion. So if you are sitting and you are looking at the Milky Way galaxy, we can see about 9,000 total. 200 billion stars. Wow. That is my, you know how when computers get old and you try to run a new program and the computer just gets slower and slower and slower and slower? This is going to happen. This happens to my brain when I think about this stuff. 200 billion stars in our Milky Way galaxy. All right? This is just our street. This is just our block. Our galaxy, our Milky Way galaxy, is actually put together in what's called, they, they cluster these galaxies, and they came up with this really creative term for a cluster of galaxies. It's called a cluster of galaxies. 
and they put galaxies together. So the more powerful telescope you get, the further out you can look, and you see a cluster of galaxies. That's the next picture, a cluster of galaxies. And this is our neighborhood. This is just our neighborhood of galaxies. Uh, there are, there, listen, there are 2,000 galaxies in our neighborhood. 2,000 galaxies in our neighborhood. Now, each galaxy has an average of, although the Milky Way galaxy is a little bit of, of a smaller one. There's one not too far away. It would take you, you know, billions of years to fly there. But called the Andromeda galaxy that has a trillion stars. But our galaxy has 200 billion stars. And it's in a cluster of galaxy of 2,000 galaxies. 2,000 galaxies. When I consider your heavens. 2,000 galaxies. How many stars is that? Does anybody want to do the math? Carry the two. That's a bunch of stars. That's a lot. It's a lot of stars. <laughs> Maybe more. These clusters of galaxies are actually gr grouped into these bigger clusters of galaxies. And these astronomers, very creative people, they named these bigger clusters of galaxies superclusters. So you have, you have our solar system, which is in our galaxy, our galaxy, which is in a cluster of galaxies, and a cluster of galaxies called a supercluster of galaxies. Real exciting. Um, do you know how many, uh, how many galaxies a supercluster has? Too many to count. No, they estimate there's about 10,000 galaxies in a supercluster of galaxies. How many stars is that? Do you know we're in the trillions of stars now? Trillions. Trillions of stars. This is, this is unbelievable. Uh, one astronomer, whatever math they use, whatever algorithms they use, estimated in this. This is our zip code, folks. Just this is our zip code. This is a supercluster, and they estimate it has about 40 um, million or 40 trillion uh, stars in this supercluster. 40 trillion stars. 40 trillion. That's a lot of money. 40 trillion. Man, that is crazy. 40 trillion? You can't, you can't count. 40 trillion. All right, superclusters. We've solar system in the galaxy, galaxies in clusters of galaxies, clusters of galaxies in superclusters, and then we've got 40 trillion stars in these superclusters. Does anybody know how many superclusters they estimate there are in the universe? How many superclusters of galaxies? 10 million superclusters of galaxies in our universe. 10 million. Do you know how many stars 10 million supercluster galaxies is? It's about two, this, I'm not making this up, uh, it's about two septillion stars. Does anybody know what a septillion is? It's a made-up word because the numbers got too big. It's like when I was a kid and I said, well, a gajillion. That's basically what it is. It's just a huge amount of stars. It's, it is a septillion is a two followed by 23 zeros. That's how many stars that they estimate there might be in this vast supercluster of, of, of galaxies. That's, oh, man. Is your brain like, some of you are like, I got off the bus a long time ago. I'm not even with you. I got off at, you know, 200 billion stars. I'm not, you know, my computing power is gone. And I know some of you are like that. But listen, two septillion stars in the galaxy. There's so many stars that they stop, they, of course they stop naming the stars. They just give them like license plate numbers, basically, the ones that they can find. And they don't even give all the stars names. They just 
cluster them into groups and give those clusters and superclusters names. There's just too many stars. There's too many to do anything with. The vocabulary does not exist to describe how many stars there are in the universe. I am very terrible at math. So I relied on Dr. Pete Edwards. He's an astronomer at Durham University. This is what he says. There are more stars in the universe than there are grains of sand. In the world, that's the Sahara Desert. That's all the coastline in Florida. That's all the beaches in California. There are more stars than there are grains of sand in the universe. Do you know who the book of Psalms says knows every single star by name? The astronomers can't name them, but do you know who can? Maybe, maybe stars are too big for you. Maybe that's too much. Maybe we just, we need, to, we need to go smaller. I can't think that big. It's too much. I mean, come on, that's got to stir up a little wonder in you. Cold-hearted people. How about a drop of water? And if this is big, I, I get it, but, but a drop of water, single drop of water. Five, and you're going to think I'm making this word up. Look it up. Five sextillion atoms in a drop of water. Single drop of water. Five sextillion atoms. You can go big. You can go small. The universe is vast. And we believe, we believe God created it all with a word. That's the type of God that we believe in. That's unbelievable. I mean, that is beyond what our brains can, can, can wrap their minds around. And, and, and by the way, when, when David says, when I consider your heavens, I mean, we just did that. Now, David, he didn't have the Hubble Space Telescope. He was just a shepherd boy sitting out in a field, watching sheep, making sure they didn't eat by, get eaten by wolves or lions. And he's looking up at the 9,000 stars that you can see in the sky. And he's like, wow, God is amazing. Our technology has given us such a, a further, deeper look into the galaxy, into the universe. I mean, unbelievable wonder. This has to stir up a little bit of wonder in us. And by the way, this is just off topic, but most of us at one time or another have had this thought. You know, I wish there was some real tangible evidence for the existence of God. I wish God would just show himself in some way. And God's like, well, if you look up at the night sky, I offer you two septillion stars as evidence for my existence. I mean, it's unbelievably vast. I, I have a theory that there is uh, nothing else out there, that it is us in this universe, and that there is this vast, giant universe, and we are in a little corner galaxy, and we're in a little corner of that galaxy, and we're in a little corner of our world. We're in a little corner of Woodbury, and God still, somehow, somehow cares about us. When I consider, when I consider the universe, wow, unbelievably. I'm not saying that people can't look at the sky and conclude there is no God. I just think it takes a lot of faith to do that. I do. I want to show you this next picture. I know you thought, wow, we're, we've got to be done with space by now. Nope, we're not done with space. This is a picture from Voyager 1. Voyager 1 was launched in 1977. 
and they sent it out to take pictures of Jupiter. They're going to do a quick swing by Jupiter. Well, Voyager 1, 1977. So in 1977, Voy the satellites had less computing power than, than our iPhones. I mean, they just, but they're still, you know, they're doing their thing. And in 1995, um, uh, the astronomer said, you know what, hey, why don't you send Voyager a signal, have it turn around, and have it take a picture of Earth. It was about to exit our solar system, just our solar system. Why don't you turn it around and have it take a picture of Earth? And this is the picture uh, that it took. Does anybody, uh, can anybody pick out Earth there in that picture? Any picture of Earth? It's right there. It's a little, little dot. I, got, I, I helped you out here with, a, with an arrow. That's it. That's Earth. There you go. This is, this, isn't, this is just a hint at the point of view that God has. This is just a hint. Carl Sagan was a, was a pretty well-known astronomer, and he, he wrote this about this picture. I want you to think about his words as you see this picture. He goes, look again at that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you've ever heard of, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner on a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. Our posturings, our imagined self-importance, the delusion that we have some privileged position in the universe are challenged by this point of pale light. There is perhaps no better demonstration of the folly of human conceit than this distant image of our tiny world. Carl Sagan, Sagan looks up at the sky and he thinks, wow, we don't matter at all. We don't matter. What does it matter? Who cares what we do? doesn't matter. David, the shepherd boy, looked up at the sky and he said, wow, who is man, God, that you care about him? That you are mindful of them. Who are, who, who are we? We're, we're, we're nobodies. We're a bunch of nobodies, God. I mean, that is, uh, it's unbelievable. Two truths, three truths, I guess, that we really need to think about. Number one, God is significant. God is significant. God is awesome. Case in point, a bajillion galaxies. A quintillion stars. Truth number two, we are not. That truth does not sit very well in, probably in this room, but certainly not in our society. Disney movies have been telling us that we are very special for decades. And so when we come, when Patrick comes along, who are you to tell us that you're not that significant? We're not. We live in a little corner of the world, in a little corner of the solar system in a little corner of the galaxy, in a little corner of the universe. We are not that significant. Yet, it is at the intersection of that truth that God is significant and that we are not that David finds wonder. David isn't trying to make you feel bad. He's not trying to lower your self-esteem. In fact, just the opposite. David is doing something incredibly important because when we try to find value in ourselves and in the things that we do, do or don't do, that is a dead end. And David is saying that value does not come from within. That value comes from God. When I consider the universe, who is man that you love us, that you care for us? This is where David found wonder. At this intersection of the two truths that God is significant and we are not, yet we are significant to God. 
Now, I know you're like, okay, yeah, this is all true. I, I get it. It's all very basic. It's all whatever. I get it. it but do you understand how important this is? Because we're going to leave here and we're going to go about our normal lives and we have to think about lunch and we have to think about work tomorrow and we have to think about the bills that we've got to pay. We've got to think about all those things. But we forget to think about those things in light of who we truly are. When we think about those things in light of, you know, the universe is this big, vast place, well, well what do we matter? What does it matter what I do? But God says it tremendously matters because I make you matter. Here's the claim David is making. God spoke a septillion stars into existence. Let there be light. And he cares about it when you can't find your car keys. God cares. It matters to him. You're like, no, no, no. I don't matter to God. According to God, it does. And if God can create a septillion, bajillion, gajillion stars then he could care about your car keys. I, well, what, what is it? God cares about how you treat insignificant people. Well, what does it matter? It's, I'm in my little lone corner. of a, God cares. It matters to God. It matters to God how you interact with one another. It matters to God whether or not you're respectful to your parents. It matters to God, right? It, it matters to God whether or not you love your kids. It matters to God whether or not you care about your neighbor. It matters to God whether or not you behave out of selfishness uh, and envy and jealousy or whether you behave out of love. It matters to God. Well, I'm just nobody. What it, it matters to God. You matter because you matter to God. Let's take all this and let's map this onto a larger truth. I want you to turn to another place in Scripture where one of the authors of Scripture was trying to describe the indescribable. It's Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We've got to map this idea onto something else that's really important for us to understand. Verse 15, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven, a trillion galaxies, a septillion stars, and things on earth, you and me and our little lives. Whether they're visible or invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority. And he is bigger than every political party. He is bigger than every government. He is bigger than every supreme leader. He is bigger than every dictator and every president. He's bigger than all that. And all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. The stars, the galaxies, the universe, every atom in a drop of water held together by Christ. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all fullness dwell in Christ, dwell in him. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The God of the universe that created all the stars and all the galaxies and all the sand on all the shores of every sea, somehow, for some reason, thought, you know what? I care about these people enough that I'm going to come down there and live among them. And, just, and get dirty with them and eat with them and, and have to put up with them. I'm going to do that and eventually I'm going to die for them. Because I care about them to that degree. Man, this is, this is the God of the universe. It's unbelievable. 
you see the, the claim Paul is making here? The same God that created the universe pursues you. You. Not, not me, other people. No, you. I mean, this has to stir up a little wonder in us, a little bit, just a little bit, just a little, I mean, just scratch at that a little bit. Maybe it doesn't do it for you. I don't, I don't really care about space, but come on. The God of the universe dying for you, it's got to do a little something. Just. Paul goes on to say, he goes, verse 21, once you were alienated from God, you were light years, light years from God. And we're enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Did you think it was impressive when God created a gajillion galaxies? Yes, I did too. But you know what's more impressive is that he forgave our gajillion sins. That's more impressive. That's amazing. That's incredible. While we were enemies. Sometimes Christians search for wonder. They want to have it in uh, the right experience. They want to have a certain worship setting. They want everything to be just so. Or they want to have it on a walk in the woods. And, and they just, they want, we, we do want wonder. We want the experience of God. And I think if we're being honest, I know some of you are like, we're all wired differently. I get that. But I think all of us want the experience of God. We want to know that God is real, that he exists, that he truly loves us. We want that. We, we want that. We want this definitive proof. We want to know. But I, I wonder if we already have everything we need and we just haven't been paying attention. I kind of wonder about that. When I consider the heavens. Join us next week. We're going to continue our series on wonder. And Steve is going to talk about the goodness, the righteousness of God. And I just, I want you to know that we understand this is, it feels basic but we can't get too far away from this. The further away we get from this, the more our lives are reflective of, of the things around us and not reflective of the one who created us. So let's not get too far away from the wonder of God that needs to, to motivate and propel everything that we do. Let's pray.